Welcome to Slay Church. We are so glad that you're tuning in today and pray that wherever you are, this message will bless you. If this impacts you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Send an email to mystory@slatechurch.com. It's okay. You can have a little bit of chatter amongst yourself. It's uh, got pretty quiet there. Is everybody doing good? Nice sweater. Thank you for, uh, yes, representing uh, the best university in Waterloo. Just kidding. I've never stepped foot on that terrible campus. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's like, what does he actually believe? Now, uh, my wife's cousin picked it up for me for Christmas, and I'm like, you know what? It'll give me a little bit of street cred with the youths, and uh, that's what uh, <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. All right, let's, uh, let's uh, dive in for a second here. I'm going to find myself, or we're going to find ourselves. I don't know where you guys are going, but where I'm going is John chapter 1. All right, so if you have your Bibles with you, why don't you turn with me to John chapter 1 as my wife Emma introduced me. My name is Brandon, and I'm one of the lead pastors here alongside her and uh, the incredible Luke and Victoria Bedger. You guys are looking good tonight. Yeah, I haven't seen you all day, so uh, good to see you. I was in Elmira this morning. Who knows that Slate Church has a location in Elmira, and uh, I got to say, there's something about Elmira that's just... uh, that you guys just don't have. Um, horse and buggy is, I think, the words that I'm looking for. It's always amazing to me when I'm on my way to church in Elmira. I was speaking there this morning, and all of a sudden you're, like, passing horse and buggies, and you're just like, it's remarkable, really, and uh, it's always surprising. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn to John chapter 1. Uh, John is the fourth gospel. Gospel just means uh, really biography. In in our case, it also means good news. There's many different interpretations. They're all kind of true. And uh, it's the fourth gospel of the New Testament, the part of the Bible that looks back on the life of Jesus. And we're going to find ourselves in chapter one because it's uh, Christmas time. That's why. And uh, this is kind of what God's placed on my heart to share with you today. If you're taking notes, um, you can also just write down this title right away, which is um, Life, light, and victory of Christmas. The life, light, and victory of Christmas. Now, if you're to preach on a Christmas message, usually you would turn to two different books of the Bible. Who knows which books those are? Matthew and Luke. Some of you are like, please don't look at me. And if this is the kind of church where you like yell out and get answers, like don't don't look at me. I'm not, I don't know. Uh, but usually you would go to the book of Matthew and the book of of Luke, the gospel of Matthew, and the gospel of Luke. And the reason for this is because it tells the traditional story of the birth of Jesus, and and how he came about, and his mother Mary, and the wise men, and the stable, and the manger, and the animals, and the stinkiness, and all the rest. And those are the two books of the Bible that would, 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 uh, would teach that. You wouldn't go to Mark, because Mark just launches right in to the life of Jesus. And generally, we skip over John because we go, like, there's no stable. There's no, there's no angels. There's no stinky animals. And, and that's, that's not Christmas. But, but we'd be wrong to skip over John and the Christmas story because John actually starts with the Christmas story in different words. And I'm going to read it out here today. Um, I only picked 
two verses I was going to originally read from, but I'm going to start at verse 1. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This is Genesis, okay? Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to every man who is coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. This is the gospel message. This is the Christmas story wrapped up in some really wordy language. Really wordy language. But it goes on to describe how the light came and and saved the world and all the rest of that. And that's all good stuff. But we're going to focus on that part that says he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. Jesus came to that which he created, but his own, his own creation did not receive him. And If we want to specify even further today, we're going to land ourselves in verse 4 and verse 5 where it says, In him, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men. The light, Jesus, the light that he puts in us shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. All right, what a good Christmas message. Amen? Amen. That's where you say amen. If you're not used to church, you just go, oh, amen, amen. All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for who you are. And thank you, God, that we get to come into Maxwell's tonight. It's getting close to Christmas, and uh, thank you, God, for everybody in this room, God. We want to prioritize you this Christmas season. It's not just about visiting family. It's not just about giving or receiving gifts. It's not just about cool Christmas lights and Christmas decorations and um, John Legend's album, Christmas album, which I can't get out of my head. It's, it's about you, God. We thank you so much for who you are, and we pray that we would make this all about you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's interesting because I think the reason we don't usually start in John chapter 1 for the Christmas story is, one, because it's not explicit, right? It's not explicitly talking about the things that usually the Christmas story has. And it's a little bit wordy. If you introduce the book of John to any friends, they're like, hey, what book of the Bible should I start with if I'm going to start learning about Jesus? Often we will put point to the book of John, but that's because John has a lot of descriptions about who Jesus was and, and some of the things that he fulfilled and that were spoken about him long ago. And we point them to that, but we almost always kind of want them to skip chapter one because we're like, I don't, they're like, well, what is the word was light and light was word and light was in and word of what? And that, like, what does that all mean? You're like, well, just get to chapter two and you'll start understanding everything. Um, and uh, I wonder in, in this place tonight, for those of us that are here, if you've ever found yourself in a place where you've had to explain yourself. Because here the Bible in John, he's trying to explain something. I wonder if you've ever been in a place where you've had to explain yourself. I've found myself 
in so many of these situations. So many situations where, you know, Emma is gone for the night or something, and she's like, hey, get the kids in bed by 8, and she comes home, and it's like getting close to 9, and the kids still aren't in bed, and she's like, you better explain yourself. And I'm like, we're just having fun. I was being a good dad, right? And uh, there's many of these different situations in my life where it come up, and and uh, you got to explain yourself. One such situation happened after L Conference. Shout out for L Conference. L Conference is our women's conference here at Slate Church. We had our first ever women's conference this past October. Thank God for 2019 and all that God did in 2019. And uh, yeah, that's right, Ben. You can, uh, Ben understands what it means to celebrate, even though it already happened. We would do well as a church to continue to celebrate things that God has done, to remind us of things he's going to do in the future. 2020 means nothing if we can't remember what he did in the years prior. But listen, L Conference happened, and uh, it was awesome. And we, we made the decision to continue to run our Sundays as usual, which for, for a lot of us, we wouldn't, we wouldn't even consider anything different. But uh, it was a surprise to a lot of our friends anyway that we were going to run a conference at a new venue, and then we were going to the very next day set up and tear down three separate locations as a regular Sunday. And everybody's like, you sure you're going to, like, why don't you just run Sundays at the Humanity Seat? And we're like, because there's people in Elmira that need to hear the, the message of Jesus. And we're going to keep it there so they can hear it and they bring their neighbors and it's not so far away. And we had all these reasonings, right? And we're like, no, we're sure that this is a good idea. Well, they're, they're, they're you know, questioning a little bit. and Like, okay, well, like, like that's a lot of work. Like, you guys going to bring all that stuff from one location or split it back up amongst three? Like, we're like, yeah, it's going to work. So uh, we did a great job. Teams did a great job. Shout out muscle team, shout out host team, shout out uh, media team, and, and, uh, and, and I'm missing some. The back table, which we absolutely love. You guys are amazing. I even saw Alex, who uh, helps run lights back there. I mean, nobody sees these guys at the back, but they're like making a whole bunch of the stuff on stage happen, and Alex is back there the whole time worshiping himself, because guess what? That's what we do as a church. No matter where we find ourselves serving, we worship. So shout out all those teams, but two guys in particular um, were in charge of getting all of our equipment from one place to the next place. It's about one in the morning, and I get a bit of a phone call, and, and, and it wasn't a phone call that I was looking forward to hearing, but it was that all of our stuff on the truck, the truck that was carrying all of our stuff, was en route to our storage container so that we could split it up the next morning at about 4.30 in the morning for all the, if you're saying, if you're on host team and you're like, I don't know, host team's like a lot of work. And, and it's, it's not that muscle team's like crazy amount of work because I don't want to scare anybody away from it, but you should see what muscle team does, okay? Because sometimes muscle team has to show up even earlier, 4.30 this Sunday, and do all this stuff. So I got to call it one in the morning. And, and I, 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 I answer it, and I'm like, yo, what's up? Like, well, uh, I'm like, well, um, what? And like, well, uh, I'm like, spit it out. Like, well, L Conference was really good, eh? And I'm like, why? This isn't, you're not calling me at 1 a.m. to tell me that L Conference, I already know it was good. I want to sleep. If this is what you want to talk, tell me tomorrow. Um, and like, well, it was great. And I'm like, get to the point. Come on, what? Like, well, um, truck was driving to the drop drop zone. Sounds like we're like in the CIA. They're driving to the drop zone. And uh, I'm sure it was in different words. And uh, somebody hit our truck. Now one in the morning, I'm like, what do you mean they hit our truck? I'm like, like, where did they hit the truck? Is the truck okay? Is, it, is the truck tipped? Is all of our equipment okay? What's happening? And essentially what had happened is Josh Cox and Taylor Stewart, two incredible guys were driving the truck. And uh, as they were driving the truck, 
uh, somebody merged over into their lane and, and basically nicked the front row, uh, wheel of our, of our truck, but the front wheel of our truck, much larger than the car, just destroyed the side of the other car. And so I was like, kind of like, happy. I was like, well, at least their car's destroyed and not our stuff. I'm like, well, God needs to be praised tomorrow. You know, like I felt okay feeling that way because all the stuff was to serve God's purpose and whatever. Anyway, I know I should feel worse than I did, but I was like, good. And, uh, but immediately what came to mind, because I was like, okay, what's the next steps? What's happening? Like, well, the police are on their way. And I was like, police are on the way. Okay. Um, and the other driver is actually blaming it on us. I was like, okay, this, this presents a challenge. I'm like, we got to get this stuff to our drop zone so that we can do service tomorrow. And so I was just thinking in my head, I'm like, this is a bad scenario. You got one driver who's likely older than the two that are driving because they're like 10 years old. And uh, no, Taylor, <laughs> Taylor and Josh aren't 10 years old, but they're like super young. I don't even know if they're allowed to drive Penske trucks, but I'm sure we've checked into this, okay? But um. And, and, and they're super young, and I'm like, it's likely that the people that they've hit are older, and they know if the cops come and we just blame it on these two young guys, that everything's going to be okay. So my mind's racing, and I'm like, I've got to go there to establish some level of authority, because I can just imagine the police showing up. Hey, what happened here? Well, they hit me on the road. Oh, they hit you on the road. Hey, young guys, what are you up to tonight? Well... Um, we belong to a church. Sure you do. It's one in the morning. What are you doing with this big truck? Well, we belong to a church. Okay, we, I've heard that point. What, what else? What else? Uh, what, what are you doing at, at one? Well, we just finished running a women's conference and looking at two young guys like, no, you didn't. And uh, we didn't hit them, but uh, I'm going to believe you guys over this. And so I just thought, I've got to get there, and we've got to explain ourselves. And so I show up. It's pouring rain, and I arrive at the scene, and I'm ready to, to, um, to you know, bring a level of maturity to the conversation and everything else. And I run out to the back of my car, and I pick up my umbrella, and I put it up, and I run over to the truck as the cop's there. And, uh, and I'm like, officer, is everything okay? And he looks at me, and I don't know why he looks at me this way, but he looks at me, and he's like, uh, is everything okay? Uh, and I'm like, no, no, that's what I'm asking you. He's like, yeah, um, who are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm the pastor of these guys. Now, I had a little bit more explaining to do because I thought my presence would bring a level of maturity to the conversation. But what the cop was looking at was a guy that got woken up at 1 a.m. And I'm wearing green Lululemon pants, a pink sweater, and I grabbed out of the back, not my umbrella, but my wife's lib- uh, 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 zebra, not zebra, um, leopard print umbrella. And I'm talking to this guy, telling them, well, I, I, a young guy, and the pastor of these other young guys, and yes, we just ran a women's conference. And the cop kind of looks at us and he's like, what? You guys are a mess. One of the things that came out of that story that I thought was just absolutely awesome was um, the moment this cop actually heard from Taylor and Josh, who are obviously presenting themselves way more maturely than I was in this situation, um, was that when he said, they said, hey, we were running a women's conference, the cop goes, oh, are you part of Slate Church? And I just think, that's amazing. God bless, because they weren't charged, nobody was charged. But um, there's these times where we, we actually have to explain ourselves. The Gospel of John begins with some wordy language, and the interesting thing is that the word... The words of our mouths are always trying to communicate the truths of our minds. Okay, so the words of our mouths are always trying to communicate the the truths of our minds. If I'm to try to impart any level of what I've studied this past week 
uh, into you, uh, what I've studied for this message, into you tonight. I have to do a, a process by which I take the truths that God has showed me in my mind and I translate them through the, 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 the vessel of my mouth and that's how God's truths get communicated from me to you. Right? That, that's the process by which it comes. So when we come up to this verse and we're like, who is the word? How can we trust that it's Jesus? All the rest. And these are big questions that come out of John 1. We, we apply the same understanding. The mind of God had to communicate to humanity what his love looked like. And the vessel in which he chose was the words of God represented in the human flesh, which was Jesus. This is huge. This is an incredible way to understand when you start reading John 1. And I wanted to share this with you because I think when we read John, it's not to confuse you. It's to explain to you that God sent Jesus, God with flesh on, to communicate the word of God. What is in the mind of God was communicated through the word, which was Jesus. And what Jesus did and exemplified while he was on earth was meant to explain to us what God is all about. If you're confused, that's a good word. Thank you, Isaac Teshke. That's a good word because, listen, Jesus didn't come to just show us a moral life so we could just follow some moral thing. He didn't just come to just teach good things. He didn't come to just set an example for us. He came as a physical representation of the mind of God out there to communicate to us that had a hard time understanding who God was, and he came to reveal the mind of God to us. That's a good word. Even if it doesn't get you all fired up inside like, like you can go win and God's going to, that, that's a good word because as soon as we start wondering how does God want me to live, all we have to do is look at the life of Jesus and we start to understand the mind of God and how he wants to exist here on earth. And that's where the rest of the message is going to come from, the life, light, and victory of Jesus coming to earth. Is that cool? Listen, I love that the, the gospel of John and the story of Christmas enveloped within the gospel of John starts, was that, uh, starts with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. See, there's some people in this room, and you accepted Jesus into your life. You accepted the truth of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, and who Jesus is. You accepted that truth into your life, perhaps maybe 50 years ago. Some of us in this place, maybe 20 years ago. Some of us, maybe 10, 5, 3, 1. Maybe just a few months, maybe today, even during worship, you accepted this truth for the first time in your life. And what I see often is that in the church, because we've only followed him a few years in comparison to all that is out there, we get a little insecure and nervous in our faith to be able to share it, to be able to live it, to be able to stand on it, to be able to do any of these things. Because we go, how can a faith that is so young actually be able to carry any power with it at all? But I'm encouraged by the Christmas story that begins in John because it says what we've received is not young at all. It says, in fact, uh, what we've received was, was, uh, was um, there in the beginning, and in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And that gives us so much hope as the church because guess what? What you've received is not a day-old faith or a 10-year-old faith or a 20-year-old faith. What you've accepted is a truth that has lasted beyond any other truth that has existed in the history of mankind. Listen. The gospel of Jesus has held up beyond anything that's ever come against it. You, you, you need to know that your professors, your friends, your coworkers, whoever they might be, aren't the first people to try to test the gospel of Jesus and remove it from the hearts and the, and, and the minds of men and women. 
This gospel has been, has been trialed by fire and trialed by intellect and trialed by experience for so long that for those of us that put our hopes in the, uh, hopes in the story of Jesus and the story of Christmas, we can rest assured in the fact that our faith comes from something so much longer than anything that anybody wants to draw on to try to refute our faith. We have faith in Jesus, and Jesus was there in the beginning. Amen? All right, why don't you just give God some praise while I take a sip of some water. I'm starting up here, and I want to get there, but I'm going to come back down here so we can get there again, okay? Because I want to talk about the life, light, and victory of Jesus. Notice in verse 4 it says, in him was life, and that life was the light of man. In him was life, and that life, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Of course, men being interpreted, written in, in, in older English, in, interpreted as, was the light of humanity. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. You, you got to know that, that life in this passage in which we're talking about today doesn't mean the kind of life that maybe some of us have come to expect. You know, it's interesting because I think as followers of Jesus, we have an opportunity to grow in our knowledge and faith and expectation of who God is day after day after day. But unfortunately, so much of Christianity shows us that that's, that's not what always takes place in the life of somebody who proclaims to believe in God. In fact, sometimes just grow, growing old as a Christian sometimes just means becoming more bitter, <laughs> becoming more vindictive to the world that we live in, judging more because we just have more life behind us, May, being quicker to make assumptions on people's lives with a little piece of information about their story versus the entire story of their lives. We, we don't always equate the life of a Christian growing in faith with that of somebody that's more understanding, somebody that's quicker to forgive, somebody that's quicker to give grace, somebody that's quicker to give mercy, the same mercy that we've received from God. You see, we equate life with a lot of different things in our society today because life means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. For one person, it's just a board game that they play once a year to appease their, their, their family. <laughs> for other people, it's uh, their, their life is, is marked by a, a, a hunger and an ambition for more that cannot be sufficed by anything, and they just keep chasing. For some of us, life is something we're battling for. It's something that's hard to do and something we often want to give up on. See, life means so many different things for so many different people, but Jesus ushers in a life that is so much greater than anything that we could have ever hoped, ever imagined, ever even uh, 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 thought up in our own minds. He offers us a life that is so expansive that when we take a look at it, it gives us a hope to go through the seasons of life that we find ourselves in. And if we allow his version of life to take over our definitions of life, ultimately we find ourselves living a better life. You see, I, I could go, go into the Hebrew, and, and uh, not even the Hebrew, it wouldn't be Hebrew in this case. When I looked up the Greek, and the, the, it, it, it doesn't matter. The life that Jesus is talking about is everlasting life. It's all-encompassing life. It's not the life of our experiences. It's the life of the whole. It's the life that God and, and Jesus in particular came to die for and usher in for us. And, and the interesting thing is, is that in, within each of us, we have a gnawing desire to accept that life as our own. 
We actually have a desire, whether we realize it or not, to exchange the life we have been living with the life that God, God um, uh, uh, has for us. But often we're trying to make that exchange without God as a part of the picture. See, so many of us are chasing after a life rather than receiving or choosing to receive the life that God already has for us. We're chasing rather than choosing. And the difference is really important because the life that God brings is not one that we have to work to earn. It's a life that has been given by God as the same way as a Christmas present has been given, but it's ours and our decision whether or not we're going to receive it. But so many of us, by removing God from the equation, try to receive this life and we chase this life in our own, in our own strength. And I think it's so easy to look at people in the world and, and say, well, they're, you know, I, I can point you to a few people that are chasing life around me. Yes, so-and-so in my connect group, they've been chasing life. I know exactly what you're talking about, Brandon. They've been chasing life. They, they were at the club a few nights ago, and they were chasing life. <laughs> it's like, that, that's great. I, I understand. Oh, I know, I, know, I, know, I know another person. My uncle is always drinking, chasing the life because he just wants to feel something. And it's like, yeah, I, we get that. And, and we, we can easily put labels on different people that have outward struggles and say, oh, they're chasing life. But when we look at the church, it's interesting because we have our own version of chasing life, don't we? And it's a version that's as old as humanity itself. It's a version that puts us at the center as much as the world's version of chasing life has put them at the center. And what I mean by this is it's a life that says, I've got to do all the things God has said, and then I will receive the life that God has for me. It's interesting. I was reading um, Eugene Peterson's memoir. And Eugene's Peterson's, Eugene Peterson's memoir is called The Pastor. And, um, and I, it's, it's a brilliant book. If you don't know who Eugene Peterson is, he wrote a translation of the Bible called The Message. And The Message is not a literal translation of Scripture. It's a, it's a um, uh, I'm blanking on the word right now, paraphrase of Scripture. And so if you're like, oh, there they go. Here's Slate Church. They're, they're preaching the message. I knew my dad told me to watch out for that. Uh, listen, we also understand it's not a literal translation of the Bible. It does put things poetically that are really important. Otherwise, we've got to write off every single pastor that's ever translated the Bible into common language because they didn't just speak Scripture the entire time they were up from the platform. That makes sense? Eugene Peterson, a wonderful man, and, uh, and, and someone who dedicated his life to revealing scripture and, and revealing the heart of Jesus. He tells a story, and he said, as a child, his parents celebrated Christmas like every, other, like every other family. They put up a Christmas tree. They went out. They, they went out in the forest. They were in, lived in Montana growing up, and so they went out in the forest of Montana. They'd cut down a tree. They'd bring it into their home. They'd set it up for everybody to see. They'd put the tinsel around it. They'd put the star on the top, and he loved it. And, in fact, this was a part of his Christmas memories that he absolutely loved. Anybody have these kind of memories? You're like, I love, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I look forward to it every year going out into the forest. Or there's people like Emma and I that you just pull your tree out of a box. Anybody just pull Pull your, pull your tree out of the box like, I got that memory too. It's just a little shorter. <laughs> we go downstairs, we pull out the box, throw it up. It's already lit. And uh, we just like toss stuff at it and whatever sticks, that's kind of how we decorate our tree. That's a little bit more the way that we do it. Although the kids and Emma did a great job putting all the bulbs on this year. It looks beautiful. But Eugene Peterson is explaining this. And then he says, but one year when he was seven years old, his mom said, no longer are we putting up Christmas trees. And he was just so confused. He's like, why? You know, she was such a passionate woman, woman of God. 
And she said, uh, she said uh, he, he wrote, unlike many of our neighbors, we always kept Christ in Christmas. Which, by the way, the best way to keep Christ in Christmas is you live out Christ in the communities that you find yourself in. Let's not get into trivial, ar- trivial arguments. Let's live out Christ in the neighborhoods we find ourselves. But he said, we wanted to keep Christ in Christmas. At the same time, like all our neighbors, we had, had and decorated a tree on Christmas. But the Christmas of 1939, we didn't. My mother, an, an intense woman capable of fierce convictions, was reading the prophecy of Jeremiah and came upon words she had never noticed before. Now listen to the words of Jeremiah, okay? Thus says the Lord. There's another book of the Bible. Thus says the Lord. Learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the, sight, at the signs of the heavens. Because the nations are dismayed, by, dismayed at them. For the customs, and this is where it gets really good. For the customs of the peoples are false. It gets better. A tree from the forest is cut down. And worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. Men deck it with silver and gold. They fasten it with a hammer and nails so that it cannot move. (laughs) He goes on to say, there was no doubt in her mind that the Holy Spirit, through the prophet Jeremiah, had targeted our American Christmas in this passage. Every detail fit our practice. And he went through each of these lines, how he would go into the forest, and a tree from the forest is cut down, how his father would take the axe and make it flat on the bottom and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. And they'd bring it home, and they'd put their tinsel around it, and men deck it with silver and gold. And then he'd, make, he'd bring all these crates around it to stand it up so it would stand up straight, and they fasten it with a hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Eugene Peterson says, that for the, sun, the, the winter of 1939, they had no Christmas tree. And time passed and everything else. In the winter of 1940, all of a sudden, the Christmas tree was back up. And he was wondering, where the heck did the Christmas tree come? And what, what did Jeremiah only apply this passage in 1939? And he asked his mom about it, and she just kind of brushed him off. And years after years after years, he would ask his mom, or his mom would ask him, rather, do you want to know why? That 1939 Christmas was so crazy, and he'd always say no, and to the point where she died, and he never came to realize why his mom chose that year to lean into that passage and not have Christmas. Listen, there's another way that Christians try to pursue a life that is like the one that Christ provides, and it's a life that pursues all of the individual little things that Christ says we need to do. And unless we live up to it, we feel like we're not living a full life that is found in Jesus Christ. We read through the Old Testament, we go, we must not do this, we must not do this. The shall nots, and we wonder, and we, and, we, and, we, and we go about it and everything else, and we chase after a life that only Christ can provide. And it's interesting because the life that we chase is a religious life. The life that the world chases is a worldly life full of hedonistic pleasures. But the world that we ch- is, is, is clothed in religious um, language and religious tradition. And, and if we can only get the things right, then maybe we'll be able to experience all the life that Jesus actually has. But here's the problem. Both chasing of life, all, both of these examples of chasing life are false and cannot provide the kind of life that Christ provides. Because the kind of pre- cr- life that Christ provides is one that only he can provide, that is only found in the sacrifice of Jesus, and one that was paid for on a cross because we could not pay for it by ourselves. 
It, it, it's hard for us to understand. I had a meeting this past week with somebody, and they're asking, like, how do we know what laws we follow and what laws we don't? And we get so wrapped up in the do's and don'ts of our faith that we miss out that Jesus came to die on a cross because we could not live up to our faith, because we could not live up to the do's and don'ts, because every time we put a foot forward, we actually failed, and Jesus came to pay that price so that we could actually walk through life knowing that when we fail, Jesus has us, and when we succeed, it was only only through Jesus' strength anyways. And when we walk through that kind of life, all of a sudden we start understanding that we get to go from mountaintop to mountaintop, and even in the valley we can find meaning because Jesus walks with us through the valley. See, life to the fullest is a life that is received and chosen in Christ, not one that is chased through human endeavor. And so often when we talk about the life of Christ, and in John 4 it says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. you got to understand that it's this life that lights up humanity. We're trying to chase after so many different things to light us up, to brighten our smiles, to brighten our minds, to brighten our situations, to brighten the things that we have gone through. But John makes it clear right early in his, his attempt to describe the, or, or in his recounting of the life of Jesus. And he says, in him, in Jesus was life. And the life that Jesus provided was the light of man. So I just want to suggest today that if you want to experience all that God has for you this Christmas season, start accepting Jesus' life as your own. If you want to start feeling fulfilled this Christmas season, start with Jesus who paid a price that only he could pay. If you want to experience the joy of Christmas this season, don't try to do it all in your own power and and start lining up now your New Year's resolution so you can feel better going into 2020. All we ought to do is receive the life that Jesus has already paid for for us and we can walk into the life that all of us ultimately want in this coming year. The life of Jesus. See, I want that kind of life in my life. And I imagine there's a lot of us in this room that also want this life. The life of Jesus is something that should encourage us this season, but John 4 ends with, it was the light of men and starts, verse 5, with the light that shines in the darkness. This issue of light is something that should not elude us. Not the way that darkness does, because light is in the open. It, it breaks forth out of darkness. It, it, it provides a way through the darkness. It illuminates the, the confusion of the, the darkness. It illuminates the path through the darkness. It's, it's something that brings clarity and, and not confusion. And the light of Jesus is something that we can celebrate in uh, in 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 uh, in Christmas time, because of who God is, you see, in the revealing of the light, we need to understand that uh, we need to start stop hiding, and we need to start revealing. We need to stop hiding, and we need to start revealing. The language of John one is 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 very similar to the language of another passage in John, uh, rather in Matthew chapter five. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is teaching his closest followers, and he says, hey, uh, nobody lights a a lamp and and hides it under a bowl. Nobody um, lights up a lamp and and, and hides it so nobody can see. In the same way, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And all this language surrounding light is that it's meant to be revealed and not not hidden. Now, that that seems really normal to us, but we spend a, a good portion of our times trying to hide the darkness versus revealing the light. You know, uh, around Christmas time, 
if uh, if you've paid attention to your parents or 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 you are a parent yourself, one of the things that we do is we hide our Christmas gifts, and this is a very difficult thing to do with kids that just have free roam of your entire house. I didn't realize how hard as a parent you had to hide gifts until I had kids of my own. And they just get into everything. They're just like, like you know, they're screaming and then, and then you find them and they're like hiding underneath your sink in the kitchen. You're like, how did you get there, you know? Or they're screaming and you're like, where's the screaming coming from? You're looking in one room and then the other and all of a sudden they're in like the top shelf of your linen closet. And you're like, how did you do that? You can't even walk yet, you know? Like they're just like scaling it with their arms and you're like, this is insane and and we hide our Christmas gifts because we want to hide the joy from our kids. We want to delay their joy to a moment where they can receive it and open it up and, and, they, and, and that they can experience this joy all together with everybody else. You know, one of the things I'm so thankful with when it comes to the light of Christ is that he's not hiding his light for some other moment where you can experience the joy all together. You know, he's not trying to hide his light from you to the moment that you come to church on Sundays where finally you can bask in the light of Christ. No, every single day God is trying to shine his light on your life and reveal his glory to you and you have the opportunity day after day to tap into the light of Christ and you don't have to wait till this moment to experience all that Jesus is. It's an incredible truth wrapped up in the actual practices of the, of the Christian life. We can experience Jesus day in and day out. But so often what gets in the way of experiencing Jesus day in and day out is that we actually find ourselves hiding our darkness versus revealing the light that God's already placed in us. Verse 4 ends with, with um, addressing Jesus as life, and then it says that that, light, that life was the light of men. Notice how it, it transitions from who Jesus is to the identity of, of humanity. It goes from Jesus, in Jesus was life, and, and that life that was in Jesus was the light of humanity. It, it, it transfers to, all of a sudden, humanity. And then verse 5 picks it up and says, the light shines in the darkness. And now listen, it's interesting because this is where we have a dual meaning in Scripture where it means, yeah, of course it means that Jesus shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. But it has a dual meaning in that the light that is in men shines in the darkness. The light that is in humanity shines in the darkness. The light that is in the church shines in the darkness. The light that is in Slate Church shines in Waterloo Region. It's trying to get at something deeper. It's saying, hey, listen, that life, once you receive it, is meant to be revealed to everybody around us. But as long as we go about hiding our sin, we'll miss out on revealing Jesus. Listen, I don't want to go through Christmas just dwelling on all the things I've done wrong in the year 2019. Because if I start there, I'm going to get a list longer than the words that are written in scriptures. Because I've had bad thoughts. I've lusted from time to time. There's things in my mind that I don't, I don't want anybody else to know. But if I just spend all of my life hiding, in, hiding the darkness that consumes my life, I'll spend more time living in the darkness rather than revealing the light that Jesus has actually placed inside of me. See, the darkness cannot take you down if you allow the light to shine through you. It cannot defeat the light that is in you. See, I want to go about revealing. I don't want to go about hiding this Christmas season. See, I, in between now and 2020, when I start looking at 2020 and I'm going, oh, 2020 is the year of vision. 2020 vision, seeing clearly my life for the first time. It's a personal motto of mine to go into 2020 with 2020 vision. 
And it's like, hey, that's, that's great. Like, I'm so happy for you. I, I really am. And, and by the way, I'm setting my own goals. And I'm, I'm writing down my own list of things I want to change for 2020 and all the rest. But if all you're doing is reacting to the things you haven't done, you're going to find yourself in the same place at the end of, year, end of the year of 2020 going, why in the world am I stuck in a place where I feel so much darkness? And the reason for it is because you're dwelling on the darkness in your life instead of uh, dwelling on the light in your life. And once we dwell on the light in our lives, it actually allows us to be brightened up and our spirits become lighter. And all of a sudden we're able to carry the burden that only Christ can give us. And we're able to walk through life with purpose and with with with. Uh, uh, fear and trembling in the light of Jesus because when Jesus is guiding our lives, we're ultimately going to be walking in the purposes of Christ. You want 20 and 20 to be a clear vision for your life? Stop trying to see 2020 through the darkness and what you don't want to have happen and start looking through the lens of the light that Jesus provides and the clarity will naturally come because light brings clarity. That's how you get 2020 vision, not by sitting in the dark and, and wondering whether or not your vision is better last year than it is this year. It's by stepping over into the light and seeing life clearly and understanding that there's things that you're always going to struggle with because guess what? You're a human. <laughs> You're always going to be sinning. You're always going to be doing these things. Not because we want to choose to sin, but because that's what it means to be a human. But as soon as we walk over in the light of Christ, all of a sudden we start realizing about our lives that as much as I might be sinning day after day, week after week, I am becoming more like Christ as I bask in the clarity of this life and I can start walking into all that God actually has for me. The light of Christ. I'm so thankful for the light. Of Christ, the life, light, and victory of Jesus. I want to close with this. In verse 5, it continues on and it says, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. In other translations, just picking up the word understood it. In other translations, just trying to bring more meaning to this. It, sometimes says and the light has not overwhelmed it or the darkness has not overwhelmed it the darkness has not understood it the darkness has not claimed victory over it you know there's a there was like a phrase that as a kid I could never understand and I think it's just because it was like it was below my, uh, my intellectual understanding. My friend was obviously a lot more smart than I was. And, and I forget the actual particulars of the conversation, but my friend was arguing with his mom about something. And, and uh, I just remember like thinking about my friend and I'm like, dude, you're totally wrong in this situation. You ever had it like a sleepover and all of a sudden your friend gets into the argument with your parent and you're just like awkwardly out in, over in the corner and like, couldn't you have waited to do this when I wasn't here, you know? And it's just about like putting dishes in the dishwasher or something like that. And while they're arguing about it, you're just like over there doing the dishes in the dishwasher. And you're like, I'm just going to do this so this can end. Like, I, I want to go home. <laughs> and I can't remember what my friend was arguing with their mom about. But I remember him coming to the same realization, that moment of clarity. It's like the light of Jesus shone into his heart. And uh, I still don't think he actually knows, knows God, but this was a moment where I had a lot of hope for him. Let's say that. And, um, and he said to his mom, and he's, he's like, ah, you're right. <laughs> and she's like, I could, I could tell. This is like, a, like a, a moment for them. 
She's like, you just said I'm right. He's like, you're right. And then he goes on to say, you may have won the battle, but you haven't won the war. And I'm like, I just remember like as my little kid mind, I was like, what does that mean? Like, and I, I remember for like, like two years after just being, being like, won the battle, but haven't won the war. Aren't those, aren't those things the same thing? Like, this guy's crazy. And I was tempted at times to like say it to my own parents. And then I was like, no, my parents have driven the fear of God in me. I know what will happen. That's what unchristian families do. They get away with that stuff. You know, I'm kidding. <laughs> But but I, I always I always wanted to I always wanted to like 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 say it sometime. But but it took me a little while before I actually understood it. It took me a while to understand it because I, I my, my intellectual capacity was was lower at the time. But also because I just I hadn't come up to too many battles in my life. I mean I had a good upbringing and and, and all the rest. And but it's interesting as you get older, all of a sudden you start fighting some battles on your own. There's people in our church, and right now they're battling cancer. There's people in our church, and right now they're battling, their kids are battling things like seizures, and they're not really sure what's going on. There's people in our church, and they're battling illness that the doctors can't even really figure what it is, and so we blow it up to the biggest thing in our minds because that's what, you know, WebMD says to us, and so that's what it is in our minds, and, and it creates so much anxiousness, as it, as it would anybody. There's people in this room and you're battling with, you know, you're on probation at school because your grades aren't high enough. There's people in this room and you've got battles with the people that you work with. And the truth is, is that I don't think I understood it as a kid because I hadn't really been through a whole lot of battles. But the thing about battles, as people that believe in God and people that maybe you're here today and you're not so sure where you stand with God, is that if enough battles are lost in your lifetime, you start believing that maybe you're not going to win this thing. Maybe I'm never going to become the person that I always wanted to be. Maybe I'm never going to reach the calling that I believe that Jesus has put on my life. Maybe I'm never going to get to that place within work that I thought I was going to get. For some of us, we're still at, maybe I'm not going to get as many Instagram followers as I've always wanted. And that's fine. We laugh at it. But we're checking our Instagram like, 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 we, like our life relies on it got those apps, you know, these apps you can download that tell you who people don't follow you anymore. If I unfollow you, um, sorry, but I generally unfollow everybody. <laughs> I just say that because um, sometimes people are like, hey, um, do you like me anymore? And it's like, hey, if I haven't told you that I don't like you, probably because I like you. <laughs> Listen, there's, there's these battles that, that we go through in life and, and you go through enough of them and you start believing, hey, maybe I, maybe I can't win this thing. And here's the thing that I know about walking through life up until this point is that there's going to be some darkness that comes into your story. There's gonna be some darkness that comes into your family member's stories. There's gonna be some darkness that comes into the life of the people that you love most. There's gonna be some darkness that just kind of seems to hover over Christmas time and you're wondering, why can't I just break out and enjoy this like everybody else, but I feel like I'm just walking through it and just walking through the motions, trying to pretend that I'm happy that we're here at grandma's house again. And, and I'm just trying to pretend that I'm, I'm, I'm excited to have all these people in my house hosting this again. And, and we can start to get over 
overwhelmed by the feelings of darkness that are inside of us. But what I love about the gospel of Jesus is that the gospel of John that doesn't even, I mean, we haven't even read anything about Jesus' life in chapter one yet. We haven't read about anything that he's done, but already John is making proclamations about who Jesus is. Already John is making proclamations about the the identity of Jesus and what he cares about. And he already starts to address that the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not won the victory. And what I want to say to us today is that while you might have experienced some losses this past year, and there might be some darkness that is just waiting over your life right now, you got to know that the battles may have been lost, but the war is still up to God. The ultimate victory is up to Jesus. And what we know from the beginning of our faith to the end of its pages is that in the end, God wins and you get the freedom that you've always hoped for. And Jesus' life comes into your life in its fullness. And we get to spend eternity with God ruling over this earth. Listen, what we need to understand when we're going through the darkness is that I might have lost some battles, but I can find hope that God is going to help me win the victory. I'm going to come through this life on top, not because of my strength, but because of what God's actually able to do through me. Listen, this Christmas season and heading into 2020, I feel like it's just something that maybe we can use to encourage ourselves, which is, listen, we've all been through a lot of junk this past year, but what we can take hope in is that we are getting closer to the moment where Jesus comes back and brings us into all the eternity that we've been looking for, the fullness of that eternity, the fullness of a relationship with him, and if we just stay the path, we get to experience the victory that light provides because light will always triumph over darkness. Thank you for watching. Again, if you were impacted by this message in any way, send an email to mystory@slatechurch.com. You can also visit slatechurch.com and fill out one of our online connect cards. We would love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. As well, you can stay connected with us by following us at Slate Church on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.